0: Many of you know uh, that we have been studying Jeremiah, as you can see on the bottom of the screen, and we have been looking at the the theme of the whole book of Jeremiah that we're looking at is God's plan prevails, and we have been seeing a lot of things work together in Jeremiah. We've been seeing a lot of common themes playing out throughout this book, and today uh, we are going to be in a place, which we will talk about in just a moment, that will show a lot of these things colliding and coming together. And, and so I want to share with you guys some of the words in advance that we will be looking at this morning. Um, and as you know, in English, we can have a word like love, and love can mean many different things. Love can mean, um, I love Matt Howe, right? I, I love my friends. It can mean I love my wife. And then love with a spouse can take on an even more intimate meaning. Uh, I love pizza, right? We can use it just loosely like that. Um, So love can mean a lot of different things according to the context. And in the original languages that the Bible were written in, primarily in the Old Testament that was Hebrew, primarily in the New Testament that was Greek, Um, there are some of those words that we translate into different things, which we should, um, but sometimes some things get lost in translation. And most of the time, I don't even mention, you know, the original language. But today, it's important that we know some of these things. And so we'll be looking at a word that is very common throughout Jeremiah, ra'ah, and that's evil. And I'm butchering all these words in the original language. So, But uh, ra'ah which is evil, and when it's used in the context of man, of course, that's sin, uh, but sometimes that word in, in, the, in Hebrew is used with the context of God, and we know that that can't mean sin, so what does it mean? And it, it, What it means is is that he is working these disastrous things together, right? Because God can cause disaster and it not be sin, right? He can punish it, it for something that is just for him to do, uh, it's right for him to do, and uh, that is not sinful, but it could still cause disaster. And so we're going to be looking at that word. We will be looking at toba, which is the word for good, and it's kind of like the opposite of evil, right? Except uh, in, when used with God, of course, good is good. We know that God is good, um, but we will see it in some interesting context. And then shub, or shub, it, it is to turn to repent. Uh, And that is something that we're going to see a lot. Um, But we're also going to see it not just from a repentance standpoint, but with God of him saying, okay, here's my plan, but then going in a different direction. And and we will see in the scripture why God is allowed to do that and and how that works. And, And so does God change his mind? Well, yes and no. And so we'll get into some of that uh, this, this, during this sermon, uh, and then the, the last word that we will look at, it actually is plan. So God's plan prevails. God's mak prevails. And this is the Hebrew word for plan. And it is going to play a part in this. Just like we have seen over the last three weeks, plan, the word plan has come into the passage. Plan Ashabbath is used over and over and over again in Jeremiah, and so when I chose the title "God's Plan Prevails," it's because God's plan is something that is mentioned over and over and over again in Jeremiah, and so whether it's evil Raah or Toba, which is good, uh, or Shub, which is to repent or to turn, or Makashabah which is plan, we're going to see why we need to understand these words as we get into this. And so uh, some of you have already turned this off. You're like, okay, that's enough. I'm bored with the language stuff. But you'll see it's very important this morning. And so uh, I'm not just throwing this stuff in here because I was an English major and I love the way languages are constructed and things like that. Uh, This morning specifically, we'll look at how God shapes his plan by reshaping our lives. And don't you know that our lives are being reshaped here in the present tense? Um, They were reshaped in Jeremiah's time, and our lives are being reshaped now. And uh, we're going to look at Jeremiah 18, verses 1 through 20 is where we'll look. But I've also added a couple of verses from Jeremiah 19 for us to end on. And so uh, we'll see those in just a second. So in Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 1, the word... That came to Jeremiah we've talked about the word and its importance the word of the Lord uh, of course in the New Testament Jesus is called the word and we just looked at some meanings of words and so language is important uh, the, what specifically and exactly is being said is important and I'm so thankful that we have English translations because who wants to to learn foreign languages just to be able to read the Bible. How many people would actually read the Bible if that was required? And I think it would be less. And so we have been given this gift of the Bible being translated into our language. And of course, uh, today we speak English. For those of you who are watching, I'm assuming you're probably English-speaking people. Uh, We speak English as our first language. And even the English we speak today is different than the English our grandparents spoke, right? Language evolves and transforms. And so that language that our grandparents spoke was different than the language that they spoke when this country was formed. And the language they spoke when this country was formed was different from the English that they spoke a couple hundred years earlier. Language is always evolving, and therefore there's always a need to make sure that we put... the translation of the Bible into modern languages. In our case, that would be English. Um, But it's also important to know that the Bible was written in Hebrew and Greek and that sometimes it's helpful to go back and and to see uh, what those words mean. And, And you can do this with tools like Strong's Concordance, where you can see the equivalent of the English word in the Hebrew or Greek language. And now that, that only works for word for word. Uh, it doesn't really help with context and other things, uh, but there's some help in there. And so it's, it's an effective tool that you can use. Uh, and then, of course, we have people who go to seminary and have to learn these languages so that they can help others understand and that kind of thing. Uh, but the word that came to Jeremiah, this was language that God provided to Jeremiah to say, It came into his heart, and then he spoke it, And right? It was like a fire that was in his bones. He couldn't hold it in, as we've already seen written in Jeremiah. And the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, let's see what that is. And in verse 2, we see he says to Jeremiah, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. And so you can picture this old potter, and you can probably see a pottery, you know, someone... um, making pottery now you have this image of uh, Patrick Swayze and Demi Moore and ghosts or something uh, but this was way before that kind of a pottery wheel and so you would go back and it probably had a disc uh, where they could turn the disc with their feet that it was close to the ground and and then they would make the pottery and shape it and mold it up here and so God is telling Jeremiah to go to the potter's house this person who takes clay Molds it and shapes it into useful tools like bowls or whatever the case might be and A flask as we'll see later, Uh, but arise and go down to the potter's house and there I will let you hear my words So I went down to the potter's house and there he was working at his wheel. So what is a potter doing? He's making pottery. He's working at his wheel the wheel that I just explained a, a moment ago and the the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hands so if you've ever seen pottery made if you haven't go on YouTube it's fascinating uh, but they take they take this clay or whatever they're using to mold and they take the clay and and the, it begins to spin and they begin to shape it and they can you know use tools to do different designs in it and things like that uh, but they're just molding it and shaping it so it can be used for a specific purpose and in this case, the vessel he was making of clay, he messed it up somehow or it was messed up. Maybe the clay wasn't thick enough. Whatever the case was, it was spoiled and, and it spoiled in the potter's hand. And the potter took it and reworked it into another vessel. Now, this is important to like pay attention to the language here because the clay was spoiled in the potter's hands and he reworked it. We're going to see some of this come back into play a little later in the chapter. He reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to do. Now, if you're familiar with this passage, you know where this is going. Who represents the potter? We'll see in just a moment that it's the Lord. It's God. God represents, the the potter represents God. And then the clay, what what does it represent? It represents the nation of Israel in this case. Uh, Sometimes this is a common uh, illustration used in scripture, uh, the potter, and we are the clay uh, in- individually we can be the clay now we'll specifically be talking about israel in this chapter um but the modern day church the, m- me an individual christian god can shape us however he wants he is god he is sovereign and omnipotent he can do whatever he wants and so if the vessel is not performing the purpose for which it was created then if it's not going to be effective for that, God can just reshape it. And so that's, that's the illustration that we're seeing here with the potter. Then the word of the Lord came to me. This is me being Jeremiah. O house of Israel. So now he's addressing Israel through the prophet Jeremiah. O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand... So are you in my hand, O Israel. And so here we see we're clay in God's hands. And then this specific chapter, Israel is clay in God's hands. If at any time I declare concerning a nation, now he's going to go, he was specifically talking about Israel. Now he's going to generally speak about a nation, any nation in general. If if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom, that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it. Okay, so there's an if here. So this is conditional. We'll see the rest of it in the next verse. But the thing I want to bring your attention to is this is extremely similar. It's exact, actually. The language used in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 10, when God called Jeremiah, and he's telling him what his job as a prophet will be, that this is the message he's going to share to the people. That, that they have lived in rebellion, as we will see later in this chapter. They have lived in rebellion. They have caused pain for other people. We'll see that in chapter 19 also, um, or refer to it. You can read that on your own time. Uh, but he is telling them that they have caused pain, and it's exactly what he called Jeremiah. This is the message that he chose Jeremiah to deliver to the people. And if, if at any time he declares this, and they repent, as we'll see in a second, then things will be different. But he's saying that God himself can declare that he will pluck up, break down, and destroy. And we like to think of God as just this God who only does good and everything works out for good. But God is a God that can bring disaster. He can and will bring judgment. And so we have to pay attention to this. Israel The people of Judah in this time had to pay attention to this. So if any time he does that, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns, shub to turn to repent from its evil, ra'ah, then I will relent. God will turn. So just as the people turn from their evil, God will turn of the disaster, same Hebrew word as evil, ra'ah, that I intended to do to it. So he's saying, hey, you turn from your evil, I'll turn from my evil. Evil being disaster translated here in English. And so you relent, I'll relent. And that's important to know. So God can proclaim disaster, which by the way, he has. For the wages of sin is death. That is proclaimed. That is true. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, his son. So if we turn from the wages of sin, if we turn from sin and turn to Christ, then we can be spared. This is true in the New Testament, but it was also true in the Old Testament, as you're seeing here in verses 7 and 8. But let's keep going. Verse 9. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it. Now, this is the opposite of the language he was just using to pluck up and destroy uh, build and plant so if he's doing the opposite if he decides that he's going to do this which he has done with Israel right he his promise to Abraham his promise to Moses as he's bringing the people out of Egypt he has this promise that he's going to turn them into this nation and give them this promised land and uh, with Abraham before Moses he's saying that you're going to have as many descendants as the stars are in the sky when Abraham didn't even have a, a child at that time Uh, But if God makes a promise to a nation, and if it does evil in my sight, -ah, not listening to my voice, then I will relent, so he's turning, of the good that I, and good, that's toba, the word that shows up a lot in Jeremiah, that I had intended to do to it. So God's saying, if I say I'm going to do something great, and then you turn and sin, then I can turn from the good I intended to bring disaster. Ra, and so as we keep reading this, we're going to see how he goes back to, to Judah now to specifically the people of Jerusalem. Um, now, therefore, say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, "Thus says the Lord: Behold, I am shaping disaster. Ra. He is shaping this." bad stuff he is shaping it just as israel has shaped their bad stuff and they have been doing their bad stuff their sin their evil god is shaping some bad stuff to happen in as judgment um shaping disaster against you and devising a plan and so this uh plan but there's a play on word here because in the hebrew it's a planning the plan it's, it's He is doubly planning against you. So how would you feel if God was making his plans against you? I would not feel good. I would feel terrible. I would feel fearful. I would have a fear of the Lord that is there not just to help me revere him, but has turned to dread because I don't want God against me. And the people of, of J- Judah and Jerusalem now have God against them. And then he says this return every one of you. So turn back, right? Shu, return every one of you from his raha, his evil way, and amend, change your ways and your deeds. We have time to turn from our evil deeds. If we've never asked God to save us, then we can ask Him to forgive us and to save us. And we can follow him, we can become a follower of Jesus, and we can be his, we can turn from the evil that we have been following and turn toward God. Uh, but we know that even after we become Christians, we still have this tendency to give in to the old self, to, to, to sin, even after we've become Christians. And so for those of us who are Christians, who God has forgiven, our relationship is secure But our fellowship can be broken and we might not be right with him. And so let's repent from those sins that we've committed, those of you who are Christians. Repent from those sins. Turn back to God. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to make you right with him, to restore to you the joy of your salvation. And and we turn. And we have to know that if we're not willing to turn, then God's going to respond in the appropriate way. Um, Going back to the scripture and looking ahead to verse 12 but they say this is what the people of Israel say that is in vain we will follow our own plans so they will follow their own it, it, God is making his plans well they have their own plans now whose plans prevail God's plans prevail Right? his plan prevails but they say that is vain. We will follow our own plans and will everyone act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart, Is ra'ah, heart. So, like, they're not only doing sin, ra'ah, but they are internally sinful. It's corrupted them. Their heart is evil, as we've looked at in the past in Jeremiah. And so, of course, this is what God is saying they will say these aren't this isn't an exact quote they probably wouldn't talk about their own hearts as evil um but that this is the response that they have they have made their own plans and they're going to follow through with them and this is what they keep saying to jeremiah as he brings god's message to them and then in verse 13 therefore thus says the lord ask among the nations and we're going to read several verses here and, and and kind of speed through this part not that it's not important but there's not the wordplay that we've been seeing. Therefore, thus says the Lord, ask among the nations who has heard the like of this. The virgin Israel has done a very horrible thing. Does the snow of Lebanon leave the crags of Syrian? Do the mountain waters run dry, the cold flowing streams? But my people have forgotten me. So these other things that never happen, that's how it should be for Israel remembering God. It, 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 they should never forget him. But my people have forgotten me. They make offerings to false gods. They made them stumble in their ways in the ancient roads and to walk into side roads and not the highway. He's saying they've gotten off the path that they're supposed to be on. They've gone the wrong way, and they've forgotten me, and they've followed these other gods. Making their land a horror, a thing to be hissed at forever. Everyone who passes by it is horrified and shakes his head. Like the east wind, I will scatter them, this is prophecy, before the enemy. I will show them my back, not my face, in the day of their calamity. Now, how did God respond to the people of Israel? He went before them, right, with, with in smoke and fire. He, he went before them. He was with them. And, of course, there were times when they got off track and He threatened to leave and they repented and they stayed stayed with him. Um, But God is saying that something's different here. This isn't going to be like this. He's walking away from them now. He's going to show them his back and not his face. This isn't like them seeing his back because he's leading them out of Egypt and into the promised land. This is they are refusing to follow and he's walking away. And so this, this is important. Verse 18 This is the people speaking now. Then they said, Come, let us make plots or plans again. Come, let us make plots against Jeremiah. For the law shall not perish from the priest, nor counsel from the wise, nor the word from the prophet. They're saying he's not going to shut up. He's not going to quit saying this. So let's go hurt him. And some people say that they're just saying that they're going to say bad things about him. But just two chapters later, we're going to see him being uh, persecuted. And and so I I think that this is not just bad words, that these are bad plans, bad intentions, uh, that they're going to harm him. And then look at what they say. Of course, it's going to be words too. Come, let us strike him with the tongue and let us not pay any attention to any of his words. And so they're not listening to him. It doesn't matter what he says. It doesn't, all of this stuff that he's been saying for 18 chapters, and by the way, remember it's not chronological, so it's been a lot more chapters than that where we've already seen things that are in later chapters that have already happened and, and some details, and they're not listening. They don't care what he has to say. And in essence, if they don't care what Jeremiah has to say, because he's God's prophet, he's God's mouthpiece, they don't care what God has to say. And what has God already said earlier in this chapter that he will do to people who don't do what he has called them to do. Verse 19, hear me, O Lord. This is Jeremiah now talking to God, praying, hear me, O Lord, and listen to the voice of my adversaries. He's not saying listen to their prayers instead of mine. He's saying, do you believe what they're saying? Do you hear what they're saying? Verse 20, should good Toba, be repaid with evil, ra'ah, right? God said he will repay evil with bad, ra'ah, disaster, evil. But he is saying, Jeremiah is saying, look, I'm doing good. I'm doing what you called me to to do. I'm being your mouthpiece. And, And should it be repaid with evil? And I'm going to talk more about this in just a moment. But let's keep reading. Yet they have dug a pit for my life. Remember how I stood before you to speak good for them, to turn away your wrath from them. He was like, I was doing this for your glory and for their good, to turn your wrath, to turn to your wrath. And, and again, as we've seen earlier, the ra'ah, the disaster from them. Jeremiah has stood in front interceding and trying to convince the people, but they won't they won't listen to him. And so before we go to the next chapter, I just want to say some stuff about this chapter, about Jeremiah chapter 18. And, the, and we're, we're not going to finish out this chapter. There's still verses to go. Um, but what you should know is Jeremiah is basically just continuing this prayer. And he's saying, uh, uh, punish them. These people who are intending disaster, bring disaster on them. And, and he is saying some really harsh things. As we have seen him do in previous chapters, it's for God to intervene and and to punish them, and so. Uh, but what I want to f- focus on for just a minute before we go to chapter nineteen is plans. We have our plans, and what we have to realize is is if our plans don't line up with God's plans, then we're in trouble, and. We need, as for those of you who are Christians in here who are listening, we need to make sure that if we see that God has a plan that we're not in line with, that it's our plans that change. That we turn from our plans, right, Shoot, turn from our plans, repent if we need to repent, to turn if we need to turn, whatever the case is, to His plans. That we do things His way. Because here's the fact. God's plan prevails. So whether we willingly submit ourselves to God's plan, or He begins to shape. Remember? He, he's been using this language of shaping pottery. Um, and we're going to see some more of that in the next chapter. But He's been using this language of shaping pottery. God has the right to yes, give us choice, give us freedom, but he can shape our circumstances to bring about his plan. He can cause us to desire his plan, and it can be willingly upfront here's his plan, I see it, okay, I'm gonna change my plan and go with what he wants. Or it can be against our participation and he can start bringing disaster and bringing chaos and shaping things the way he wants to shape them in order to get our attention and to get us to go with what his plan is. So do we have freedom? Absolutely, we have freedom. We have to choose to follow God. We have to choose to not do evil, -ah, and to do good, Toba. We have to choose those things. But does God also have freedom? Absolutely. And his freedom is in his omnipotence and his sovereignty. He can take everything around us and pluck it up and destroy it, right? He can plant. He can build. We've seen him do that. We know he's capable of doing that. But don't forget that he can also pluck up and destroy. And he can shape things the way they need to be shaped in order for the ultimate good that we can't see in our perspective, in order for the ultimate good to take place. I believe with all of my heart, and I believe scripture teaches this, that one day at the end of time, for those of us who have uh, relied on Christ, relied on Jesus and, and his forgiveness of our sins and his salvation, that we will stand before God one day and that we will get to see, and I don't know for certain that we'll get to see this. I know God knows it, but I assume and I think that we will get to see how God worked All of eternity, past, all of the past, toward this eternal good that is to come. I truly believe that. That we will see all the ra'ah, the disaster that God brought in, in the world. That we will see why he brought that and how it worked out to the ultimate good. And so, we as Christians need to put our faith and trust in Him in the sense of we've already asked Him to save us. We've already ultimately put our faith in Him. So let's trust Him with our plans. Let's trust Him with everyday life. Look, easier said than done. I I doubt God all the time. I don't understand why He does some things and I don't like the way He does some things. I'm just being honest with you. But I trust Him. And I have faith that even if it's not comfortable for me, he knows what he's doing. And and that even knowing that sometimes doesn't help my pain when I'm in the thick of it. But I trust him. And I always have to remind myself, God knows his plans. God knows his machab. Like his he has a plan and and he's working it together he's shaping it and he's molding it he did it for israel he can do it for the modern day church he is doing it and he is doing it in our individual lives he is shaping things and we might look around and be like jeremiah here in verse 20 and say look at all the evil that these people are doing and should you repay that with good and should you repay the good With evil? And it might look like that in our limited perspective, in the short term. But we know that God works all things together for those who love him, together for good, for those who love him and are called according to his purposes, according to Romans 8.28. So we know that God is working all things together for good. And in the long run, this will make sense. But in the temporary, there's going to be disaster. There's going to be disaster for good people temporarily that will work out for eternal good. But now I want to talk to people who have not put their faith and trust in Jesus. The Bible would say that if you have not trusted God, that yes, he loves you, but you are also his enemy. And that he will judge you. He will do what's right and just. And he has to punish sin. He can't just let it slide. It would be like a judge who just let off. Oh, you, you, you killed someone? That's okay. We'll let it go. You, you've been pretty good otherwise. Um, he is going to judge sin. And so we have to make sure that we are right with him while we can be right with him. We have to get right with God now before it's too late. Because the Bible tells us that once we die, we don't have another chance to follow him. And so my encouragement to those of you who are not Christians, who have not put your faith in Jesus, who have not been born again, is to do that right now. Know that, yes, you might be God's enemy right now, but you can turn from that. You can turn to him. And you can look for him to do good in your life. You can ask him to forgive you. You can repent from your sin and turn to God. And you can do that right now where you are. In fact, before we finish this sermon, I'm going to pray right now in the middle of the sermon that you would do that. God, if there's anyone watching this who doesn't know you, I pray that they would put their trust and faith in you right now, that they would turn to you, turn away from their sin and turn to you And that you would turn away from the wrath that was going to be poured on them and that you would give them grace and mercy and forgiveness and salvation and love and that they would be yours and that they would follow you for the rest of their lives. I pray that there are people watching this right now who will commit to that because we know that if we turn, you will forgive. And so God saved them. We're going to continue this. I've got a few more verses left. We're going to go into chapter 19. And in chapter 19, verse 1, Thus says the Lord. So in verse 18, he tells him, Go to the potter's house. Let's see what he says in, verse, in chapter 19, I, I should say. Thus says the Lord, Go buy a potter's earthenware flask. So this is something that's already been shaped. It's, it's already been in the heat. It, it's holding its shape. This is not something that can be molded and shaped again. This is clay that has already, it's a pot that's finished. It's a flask in this case. Go buy a potter's earthenware flask and take some of the elders of the people and some of the elders of the priests. So he hasn't said what he's going to do with the flask yet, but he's saying take it and take some of the elders of the people and some of the elders of the priests. And in verse 2, and go out to the valley of the son of Hinnom at the entry of the potsherd gate and proclaim there the words that I will tell you. And so he begins to tell him these words, and the words are destruction, judgment, chaos. He is God is coming, and he is going to bring his wrath. He is going to bring in Babylon, and He is going to to take no prisoners. Well, in a sense, I mean they do take exiles back to Babylon. But there's going to be so much death um, that The valley of the son of Hinnom is going to be called slaughter, which I like that name since it's my last name. But the people reading uh, are hearing Jeremiah speak it in this instance, and as we read Jeremiah nineteen, anyone who is an enemy of God or against God, which by the way the Bible says if you're not for Him, you're against Him, um, then there's going to be a lot of death and there's going to be a lot of pain. They thought they've caused pain with their evil. And God is saying that he will bring ra'ah, he will bring disaster that's even worse than the disaster they've caused as a judgment upon them. And so uh, he keeps on going with this judgment for several more verses. And then we get to verse 10. And in verse 10, he tells Jeremiah, then you shall break the flask in the sight of the men who go with you. Now, what is this symbolizing, right? God has been, in the last chapter, he was gracious. He could reshape, mold the, the flask however he wanted. If it, if it was spoiled and something didn't go right, he just starts over, right? While he's making the clay. But now he's telling Israel, the Judah, the people in, in Jerusalem and the rest of Judah, he's telling them, Uh, that, look, they've had their chance. And now they're not going to be reshaped. They're going to be judged. And look at verse 11. And, And to those people that he brought, the elders, and shall say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, so will I break this people in this city as one breaks a potter's vessel so that it can never mended. This isn't going to be something that God just brings a little bit of brokenness that can be molded back together or mended back together. This is going to be broken. Men shall bury in Topheth. This is a place back that's related to the Valley of Hinnom That will be called the Valley of Slaughter. Um, Bury in Topheth because there will be no place else to bury. And so judgment... Is coming. And if this was the end of Jeremiah, which the end of Jeremiah is pretty sad too, that that would be bad. If this was the end of what God had planned for Jerusalem, for Judah, for Israel, that would be bad. And if that was the end of what God has planned for anyone who is against him right now in the present, that would be bad. But praise God, for anyone who turns from evil and to him, he will turn from wrath and toward grace, toward mercy. He has the ability to forgive us. Jesus made it possible by coming to this earth, living a life without sin, therefore he had done no evil, and he deserved for no evil to be done to him. He, the wages of sin is death, as we talked about earlier. Well, Jesus never sinned, so he didn't deserve death. And yet, he died. And he didn't just die. He died a gruesome death on a cross. So why did that happen? It happened because he willingly sacrificed himself and took that death that we deserve. He took it for us. And that's how much he loves us. That's how much God loves us. If this is the first sermon you're hearing in Jeremiah, then you must think, man, God is surely impatient. He is being that harsh. But this is after generation after generation of people not following him. Sure, um, you, you had Josiah who turned to him. Um, some of the people repented. But over and over again, we see generation in the Old Testament after generation. Of people who are not following him. And so here we are today. And we have a choice. Are we going to follow him? Are we going to give our life to him? Or are we not? And for those of you who have already given your life to him. Is there anything that you need to turn from today? Because our eternal salvation might be secure. But you better believe that God can still bring wrath in order to get our attention, in order for our good, in order to turn us around. And I also believe that God can end our lives whenever He wants. And we never know when God is going to return. This might sound like an extremely harsh sermon for those of you who are used to hearing me preach. But I have to be faithful to the text. And there is no way to preach this without talking about God's willingness to bring disaster for the ultimate good. So, are we going to willingly allow God's plan to prevail in our life? Or are we going to rebel and say, no, we want our plans, as the people did in chapter 18, and then God bring about his plans anyway? For me... First of all, I love God. I'm so grateful that he has saved me. I'm so grateful for the blessings that he has given me in my life. I'm grateful for the brokenness. I've been thinking a lot about brokenness and what he is doing in our midst and society and the world right now, what he is doing in, in my life and, and the things that he has done within me to help mold me and shape me and make me into the vessel that he can use for his the, the most glory that he could possibly get out of this old sorry thing. And and he is shaping me and he is molding me and he might be doing that to you too. And so I just want to challenge you and encourage you, turn to God right now. Repent and turn to him. And if you need someone to talk to about this, then please reach out. Reach out to any friend you know who's a Christian who is able to talk to you about these things and answer these things. And hopefully if they can't answer your questions, then just ask them, do you know someone who can? You can reach out to me personally. You can reach out to us on Facebook. You can reach out to us on our website, uh, mansfieldfbc.com. You reach out to us and just let us know how we can help you to turn to God and follow him with all of your heart. Hey, I'm praying for you guys. And I, I hope that even in the midst of pain, You can see how God is shaping things for his good. We might not be able to see that fully now, but I I pray and I believe one day we will be able to see that. God bless you.